The Lord be with you and also with you. Brothers and sisters, would you take your Bible and would you open up to the book of Daniel? It is in the Old Testament towards the end. Uh, open up to Daniel, find chapter one. Have you ever looked at a person or know a person in your life and go, that person is larger than life? Not just their personality, but the way that they live their life, that they are bigger than life. Their, their life almost serves as an example worthy of being emulated. They're huge. They're bigger than life. And when it comes to the book of Daniel, I think that that is how many people view the man named Daniel. Most of us have read the book of Daniel or at least know some of these stories very intimately. We've heard them in vacation Bible school or we've heard them in Sunday school, story after story. We've read about Daniel to our children and we've urged people, especially young people, just be like Daniel. In all of this, we've learned that Daniel is a person to be emulated, somebody who is to be is an exemplary kind of figure, someone whom we should pattern our lives after, someone who is a hero, a hero of the faith. But looking at it in that way really misses the point of the book and the point of how this book functions in Holy Scripture. So what we are going to discover as we walk over the next 11 weeks is we are going to discover, uh, consider Daniel and the book, and we're going to consider this, that the hero in the book of Daniel is not Daniel at all. The hero in the book of Daniel is God himself. And the big message of Daniel's stories and the big message of, of prophecies was not that God's people should dare to be a Daniel. No, but they should consider to trust the God of Daniel. And God is the true hero in this story. He is the one who ultimately delivers his people from all of their troubles. He is the one who draws near to them in faithfulness, even in the worst of times. So my friends, we are going to learn a lot about our God through the man named Daniel. So would you please stand for me? And if you are able for the reading of God's word, and we are going to be asking for God's help as we hear from him this morning. Would you please stand as we pray? Father God, May this book live unto us, O Lord. Show us yourself within your word. Show me and show me myself and show me my Savior and make the book live to us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. The word of Christ speaks to us like this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. 
And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow, uh, to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned you food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Let your, our appearance and our, uh, the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in the flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they were that should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding which, about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in, his, in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. So at the point when this book opens, Israel was probably wondering whether their God, in fact, was ultimately the hero. In 605 BC, the Lord had given 
Jehoiakim, into the hands of the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And this was the first of three raids uh, or seizures against, uh, sieges against the, the uh, capital city of, of Jerusalem. And Je Nebuchadnezzar, he came against Jerusalem. He laid siege. He, he took Jehoiakim and he stole some of the religious vessels from the temple itself. And he seized some of the, the princes and the nobility and he all returned them to Babylon his homeland. Now, Israel may have been tempted to see all this as the work of some evil, godless king from some far-off land. But Daniel's book stresses something else. It, it stresses that this was actually God's work and that God was in control. We can see that in verse 2, right? The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So after centuries, 400 years after Solomon's reign and spiritual adultery, after, after warning, after warning, after warning for Israel and Judah about their adultery and their sensuality, God finally delivered his people into the hands of their enemies. And this was the beginning of the end for Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar set up Zedekiah as kind of a puppet governor, but later he rebelled. And ultimately, the Babylonian king finally destroyed the temple in 586 BC. So imagine Israel's reaction to exile. The holy city's walls were that were meant to, to protect Zion, the city of God, were utterly destroyed. The princes... The, the holy family was, was taken away from Jerusalem. The temple, a sign of God's, God's presence with them, was ultimately leveled. So as godly Israelites who were living in these dark years of 605 B.C. to 586 B.C., one would have been considering. They had to be asking, is God really there? Does God really care about us? Is he going to be faithful? How is he going to be keeping his promises to establish a kingdom, a king, a Messiah through the lineage of David? How will we make sacrifices if our temple is destroyed? So God's people were in exile and they were feeling utterly abandoned in that day. The reality is we too can feel that. Many of us feel as though we are somehow strangers in this land. Many of us feel as though we are, as one theologian puts it, we are resident aliens. We feel as though we are in exile from our true homeland, the new heavens and the new earth, the thing that we are longing for. And as a result, we ultimately feel that we are kind of out of joint here. We, we use our time differently from the world around us. We, we actually delight in the Lord's day. We take time to rest and put aside our work for worship and for rest. We raise our families differently. We spend our money differently. We work in our callings differently in, than other people. We live out of joint in our times, in our communities, we live as if we are exiles in this strange land. We are resident aliens. Living as, as exiles in a strange land is very difficult. 
It's hard to feel out of step with the people who are around us. That's why many of us fall, because of the difficulty of it. There are many times where we are even tempted to ask, where is God in all of this? Is God really going to be faithful? Is he going to keep his promises to me? And that is where Daniel's message meets us. The God that we worship, that we believe in, is truly our hero. He is truly uh, the God who is faithful, not only to the people 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago, but God is truly faithful to you and to me today. He is the God who comes near to us when we are desperate in our needs and says to us again and again and again, I am the true king. I will be faithful to you. I will keep my promises to you because I love you. I will show my love preemptively because by pursuing you all the way to the cross, into the tomb of Jesus Christ. And as we trust this God, we can find hope as resident aliens, as sojourners in this land. We can find hope. And we have to learn to trust our God, though. And so how does this book help us? We learn to trust our God as we pay attention to this man, Daniel. It's hard for us to approach this book because it's sometimes so familiar to us. It's almost like a fairy tale. And this is especially the case in Daniel chapter 1. How many times have we heard about Daniel and his friends and this particular challenge? And yet we must, you and I must slow down and actually pay attention to this text once again. Asking God to let us hear it with a a freshness that Israel would have known when they first read the book of Daniel. You see, Israel in their time of exile was not looking for a diet plan. No, that's not what they were looking for. So the first thing that they would have discovered, and the first thing that we should be discovering, is that Daniel and his three friends, they, they were youth, but they were more than that. They, 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 these were royal princes. And so in effort to kind of um, establish the loyalty of these far-flung kingdoms, what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He, he grabbed the, the royalty and he brought these princes and the, the, the smartest of the smart back to his kingdom from all these various places and he brought them back to Babylon to re-educate them. And so that's who Daniel was. He was a prince, one of the royal family, and perhaps he was part of the family that would ultimately produce the Messiah. We don't know that for sure, but it's possible because he was part of the royal family. So he was brought to Babylon for education. He he learned the literature and he learned the language of the Chaldeans. He received a brand new name. He, He gained learning and skills in all the literature, in all the wisdom of Babylon. And it appears that the four young men even learned Babylonian divination as well. Because he out they outwitted the ones who were called magicians at the end of the chapter. But even more that, not only did Daniel learn, he excelled in absolutely everything that the Babylonians taught. 
And it doesn't appear that Daniel was begrudgingly submitting to this whole process. Rather, he embraced it fully and was excelling in this whole process. And yet, he objected with one point. And it seems like an odd point, doesn't it? Why? Why did Daniel resolve that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the king's wine? Well, we have to say first that this is not a primer for any kind of vegetarianism. That is not what this is about. Daniel was not a vegan. He was not saying that he he only wanted to eat kosher. That was not the point. It was not also a template for a diet plan. That is not what this is about. Rather, Daniel and his friends were determined to demonstrate and maintain their reliance upon their God. If they succeeded, they did not want the credit to go to Nebuchadnezzar or to Nebuchadnezzar's God. But if they succeeded, all the credit would go to the God of Israel, the God who would remain faithful to the exiles, even in a foreign land. So they proposed a a test, and the test actually succeeded. The test was about the faithfulness of Daniel's God. It was Daniel's God who intervened in such a way that, in fact, he was truly the faithful God, the one who keeps his covenant and will remain faithful to Israel even in exile. He was the one who would sustain their bodies with vegetables, who would give them learning, who would prosper them in a foreign land. The big point here is this. When Babylonians may have wanted to believe that they were in charge, that they were the true kings of the whole world, that they were the ones ruling over this vast empire, the true fact is God God and God alone is truly in charge. He is the one who sent them into exile. He was the one who continues to be present with Israel in their exile. He was the one who was wanting them to be a blessing while they were in exile. And he was the one who was going to sustain them all the way, deliver them, and bring them back home. It is about God being in control. And indeed, Israel needed to hear that God would be faithful all the way to their deliverance. Israel did not need to hear that vegetables and waters, water would preserve them. They didn't need to hear that. That is not about salvation. Rather, they needed to hear that God was going to be faithful. Just as God was faithful to Daniel, so by extension, God was going to be faithful to Israel. So even though they were in 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 captivity, even though the temple was destroyed, even though the wall of safety and security for Jerusalem was knocked down, even though it wasn't clear how the Davidic line, the Messiah line would be continued, despite all of this, the God of Israel was still in charge. He was still faithful and he was still remembering his covenant. And friends, that is what you and I need to hear as well. As the dark times of life come to us. And as we experience struggle and pain and difficulty, we need to know 
and remember and rehearse that God is still faithful. As we get a terrible call from a loved one who, who gives us horrible news, as, as a doctor comes into the room and says, you have cancer, as we watch the brokenness and the pain of racism, as we stand by the graveside, graveside of, a, of a child wondering, where is God, where, wherever it may be, in the dark providences and circumstances of our lives, we need to hear and we need to know that God is still faithful. We don't understand sometimes, right? As we wander through this wilderness, as we're living as exiles, but we confess that we don't know why these bad things happen or why evil seems so strong. A constant theme throughout the, the Psalms. But we do believe that in those times, our God is actually as near to us as our breath. He is our right hand. He is holding our hand and he is leading us through the storm. And we must learn what Israel needed to learn from Daniel, that God is the king and he is faithful. He will not abandon us. The second thing that Israel needed to, to learn, not only did they need to hear that God was faithful, but they also needed to know that God wanted them to continue being a blessing while in exile. It's striking. The striking thing about Daniel's test is how successful it was and how successful God was in the midst of it. We see this particularly in, in verses 19 and 20. Daniel and his three friends came to the end of their three years of training for an examination. The king was administering it himself. And consider this, if they failed this test, what would have been the result? More than likely, their demise. And yet Daniel and his three friends nailed it. Did, did you see that in verses 19 and 20? Among all of them, none was like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. None, none was like these guys. Out of all of them, we don't know how many there were, hundreds or thousands of, of captives who were brought in to be re-educated. None was, were like these guys. In every matter, every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. Now, why is this so important? It's not important simply because Daniel and his friends needed to be in high positions. Rather, Israel needed to hear that Daniel and his friends were present in Babylon for a purpose, to be a blessing. It's part of the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham some thousand years prior to Daniel. In Genesis 12, verse 3, God appeared to Abraham and said this. Listen, I love this promise. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And this promise, my friend, was still in play, even though it looks like the promised land was gone, and even though it looked like the promised seed was, was not to come. Israel was still called to be a blessing. And the prophet Jeremiah tried to, tried to tell them this as they were heading into the promised land, into exile. Jeremiah 29, verse 7, 
but seek the welfare. Remember, this is on the road to Babylon. Jeremiah is saying to all the, all the people who are going into exile, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Israel needed to hear that as they were going into Babylon, they were called to be a blessing to Babylon. And that's what God calls us to do as well as resident aliens, as sojourners who are in this land. Here in our place of exile, here where we live, where you live in your neighborhood, you are called to be a blessing. We're not called here to be great transformers of culture. We, we can't transform culture, but we are called to be a blessing to others in real and tangible ways, whether it be assisting the poor and disadvantaged in, in reading programs, whether it be in writing notes to those who are struggling with cancer, whether it means coming along our, our, our elected volunteers, um, our elected officials in our village and assisting them in any way, whatever it may be, God has called us to, as a people who are in exile, to be a blessing right here to our host culture. And that's what our whole last sermon series was about, the art of neighboring. You are called to be a blessing. It's a theme that runs all throughout scripture, my friends. And there are countless ways that God may be calling us to be blessing someone, uh, whoever we come in contact with. But the fact remains that God, the God desires us to bless his world and to bless his people who don't know him. And he wants to bless them through us. But Israel needed to hear a third message, perhaps, uh, honestly, the most important message for them and for us. God was telling Israel here, even though you may gain the learning of Babylon, though you may eat the food of Babylon, though you may bear the names of Babylon, do not defile yourselves. But there's a problem in the way that we have heard this in numerous ways when we've come to this text. Some of us think that the defilement came through the food. Some of us think that the defilement may have come through this, this foreign land's indoctrination. But God doesn't place defilement in either of those places. Where does defilement come from? Where did defilement come from? For Israel, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this scene. My friends, defilement comes from a heart that does not honor God alone as the true God of this world. Why was Israel in exile after all? It was because they worshipped other gods, other idols, and they called those idols God. And far worse, they worshipped God and they abandoned the one true God completely. And where did all this idolatry come from? It came from their own hearts. And listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, 
false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. All the defiling sin and adultery comes from our heart. And that's the problem. It's in my heart. It's in your heart. And our sin is real. It is deep. It is deceptive. It is pervasive. Day after day, we defile ourselves by not trusting God to be faithful in a variety of situations. Instead, what do we do? Instead, we don't seek the Lord's face when we are confronted by a variety of decisions. Instead, what do we do? We trust our own heart. Trust your heart, friend. What's your heart telling you? We trust our, ourselves. We trust our, our wisdom. We trust our strength. We trust our smarts. We trust our finances. We trust our spouse. We trust all these other things. And in doing so, we defile ourselves. We compromise and we fall, fail to be a blessing as exiles in a hostile land because we have defiled ourselves. And though it seems like to be bad news, this is actually good news. Because as those who falter and those who fail, like you and me, who struggle in our sin, who love our idols and love our host culture, we need someone. We need someone who is truly exemplary, who is truly a hero, who can truly deliver us from our defilement, who can deliver us from our sin. Do you see where this is going? And this is ultimately why God tells us about Daniel. Because it is showing us a man like Daniel who is willing to trust his faithful God in the midst of a culture, a hostile culture. God actually points us to one beyond Daniel, who is not only faithful to the end in the face of a hostile culture, but also came to deliver us from our ultimate alienation and our ultimate exile. My friends, in other words, Daniel teaches us to look to Jesus. This is, I love this. If we can think this way, it is Daniel is pointing us to Jesus. We are wandering far from God in ex exile and in alienation from him. And Jesus, what does Jesus do? Jesus brings us near to God. And in doing so, he shows us that God was ultimately faithful all the way to the cross. In addition, in Jesus Christ, not only does he bring us closer, he enables us and empowers us to be a blessing to other people. We are granted by the through the Holy Spirit so that we may live in ways that are not native, that are not natural to us. Man, we, we can put off the old man and put on the new man. We can be new creations in Christ and we can move, move truths that are in our heads, move those truths into our hearts and into our lives. Head, heart, hands. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, we have been granted the Holy Spirit to empower us. And by the Spirit of Jesus, we are empowered and enabled to be a blessing without any kind of compromise. My friends, as our hearts delight in, in the union and communion with Jesus, we experience the total devotion for which we were made. Do you remember the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And But here's the deal. We are going to falter and we are going to fail when we are defiled. And we can 
The beauty is we can come again and again and again to Jesus and find fresh forgiveness and renewed mercy from God alone. So thus, therefore, hear this. We come to this book called Daniel in this wonderful first chapter, and we discover that God is not calling us to dare to be a Daniel. That is not what this is about. Instead, we are called to dare to trust Jesus and live for his glory. Not because we have the native strength to pull it off, but rather because Jesus has made it possible by granting us power, the power that comes from God alone. And my friends, in this way, we discover that even when we are unfaithful like Israel, God always remains faithful to us. And we learn to trust this faithful God as an exiled people on our way home. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, help us to trust in Jesus. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Help us to live as faithful resident aliens in this land that are longing to glorify you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And help us in doing so to love our neighbor in this host culture as we love ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My brothers and sisters, receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace now and forevermore. Amen. The Lord be with you and also with you. Now go in peace.